What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Latinally, the podcast that is untamed, uncensored, and always unapologetic. And today we are talking to Jazz, and she is a life and recovery coach. And she specifically teaches her patients how to use their last drinking episode as the kickstart to their recovery. And today we are going to dissect the stigmas of alcoholism and substance abuse. And more importantly, changing the narrative on drinking and alcoholism. Enjoy the episode. I know when we had our initial meeting, um, I really wanted to know. So I do have like a bunch of questions for you just as someone who has dealt with people who do suffer from substance abuse and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But I am going to save that for the end because Mm -hmm. I do really, um, I do really want to hear your story because I think it's so I think it's so amazing for you to have gone through your own recovery. You're still going through it every day. And then you also take the time out to help other people as a life and recovery coach. So Mm -hmm. how does that even, how does that like, how does that even happen? Cause that takes such an incredible human being um and also like how you then became someone who now helps everybody else and and helps them navigate this new excuse me this new era of their life that is kind of like uncharted waters for them you know because they don't I mean I I know I don't know so I mean for someone who's really going through these struggles of you know sobriety and things like that like you know, like, how do you even, how do you go from one person to then being this person who just gives and gives to all these other people? Okay, I'm going to start with my story. Sure. So my name is Jazz. I uh, I was born in Toronto, uh, Toronto, Canada. I was, um, I was brought up in Toronto as well. My family's from Ecuador. So I actually was the only one that was born in Canada. And but I grew up with a lot of Ecuadorian traditions. I grew up just, you know, the rice, the chicken, you took it to school Mm -hmm. um, for lunch or you went home to eat. Uh, So, you know, growing up in a back then, Toronto didn't seem like it was so multicultural as it is now. So I always felt different in my skin. Like I always just wanted to be somebody else. Right. I didn't want to be, you know, being brown. In, in, in the 80s, 70s, I was born in 74, it just didn't feel so comfortable. You know, um, we had to learn how to speak Spanish, to stay with our Spanish. But my mom was learning how to speak English. So we were like, okay, do we speak English? Do we speak Spanish? Mm-hmm. It was like, do we eat like sandwiches or do we eat rice and yeah. chicken, mm-hmm. right? Um, we looked very different from other people. So for me, when I saw like that cute little blonde girl, I was like, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could be like her because then I would have her life. So I was always comparing people's outsides to my insides. Wow. Yeah. And so when I found my, actually my first addiction was food because when I, when I started to eat, I just started to feel better about myself. You know, it was that filling that void that I always felt growing up food gave me that comfort of like oh you feel good now yeah that rush of euphoria Mm -hmm. 
So it helped me to cope. And at a, a young age, like the only alcohol I saw was like people around me, they were drinking. Like in our family, it was like the mentality of like, you go to work from Monday to Friday. And then Friday, we go to someone else's house and we party. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it party like from Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, you go home. Right. So, and then we had like friends that we used to just like all of us just would like gather around and just be like, okay, our dad's drinking, our moms are in the kitchen, they're all like gossiping. That's what are we going to do? So, then at a young age, we were just like, okay, the cutest girl goes and asks their dad for like 20 bucks, right? Because they just wanted to get rid of us, right? Because they wanted to drink. So, at a young age, I knew how to like be cute, look cute. So that way you can ask a guy for money, mm-hmm. right? So we would take the money. We would like just go be there like the whole night, be in our clothes. We would like, you know, sleep in our clothes, the same clothes that we wore Friday, Saturday, or, you know, I'd wake up and I would see like, I remember seeing some fathers, they were like sitting at the chair and they just looked like they were going to pass out, yeah. just tipping over. Mm-hmm. And you would hear people say, just give him beer, give him beer. Right. So he can pass out. Mm-hmm. And we would literally, I would see like, like just people pouring beer. He'd pass out on the floor and the party would still be going on. People would wow. be dancing around him. Um, yeah. So the adults just kept drinking, but something happened during that time. Right. It was like, all of a sudden it's like all the adults seemed different because they were drinking from the night before. Then fights broke out. People were just like, you know, there's affairs happening. Just things that like when you're a kid, it's like, what is going on? Right. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I share it is because that type of growing up had become my norm. So when I started to drink, it didn't seem anything different than when I was with my partner. He's like, what's going on? Like, why are you acting this way? And I'm just like, Oh, nothing's going on. Right. So that's why I'm sharing this bit of piece of information. And so Sunday would come and then we would just go home. And it was like this tension of like, don't wake up your dad because he's, uh, you know, he's hungover. Every, it was just this quiet, dreary feeling of just like, don't talk, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. So I grew up that way, just thinking, you know, drinking was normal. The only difference was, I thought only Latin men could, could drink, right? Like all the women, like, you know, when you grow up and you get older, you're like, oh shoot, they're in the kitchen drinking, (laughs) (laughs) which is another thing that had added to like, okay, so I have to hide this because it's not acceptable in our culture to drink. Right. And we grew up in our culture, you know, as a Latina culture, it's like women have to behave a certain way. You can't show that you're drinking. You can't show you that you're struggling. You can't show your feelings. You have to remain strong. You have to keep the family unit together. Right. So, so yeah, so I grew up with that mentality. So I thought, so growing up, I was just always like, okay, I'm the one that's holding the glue together in my family. So for me, when I, so I started going back for it. So I'm jumping over. Um, so I started drinking at 14 and, uh, I remember when I had that first drink for me, it was like, oh my God, I understand why they drink now. 
because I could never understand why people drank mm -hmm. and why they behaved that way. But when I, when I put alcohol into my system, it was like this euphoria. And as soon as I put alcohol in my system, it was like, oh my God, I feel pretty. My, I'm light skin, I'm blue eyes, you know, I'm thin. Mm -hmm. um, I, all the, like all the abuse that had happened as kids had gone away. I was a totally different person. Mm -hmm. And now I got to live my life without feeling all the heaviness of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So when I started at 14, I was like, okay, this is like my solution. And then food wasn't my solution at the time because I had found something better, something quicker. Yeah. And so from there progressed, like, just like blackouts. I, I started blacking out probably from the get-go because I didn't know that a blackout was so like, first of all, I didn't think it was dangerous. I didn't think that if you are blacking out like that is also an indication of having a problem because you're out of control with how you're drinking wow yeah oh my goodness that's just that first part alone i that it's a, i can relate so much to how you feel about like being the glue to your family and feeling all that pressure being someone who's so young to grow up so fast mm -hmm. and like you know you're you might have been 14 but your mind probably wasn't a 14 year old mind it was probably much older than that and that's the same with me mm -hmm. I you know I was very young and I started my I started smoking cigarettes mm -hmm. I started smoking cigarettes. I think I was 12 mm -hmm. and, you know, it got to a point where I was like 16, 17 years old and I was totally abusing alcohol and drugs. And it was just something that, you know, it was all the time because I was young. I was, but my mind wasn't young. Like, it was young in certain areas of being very naive and very being very mature in certain areas, you know, like taking all of my issues, I guess, and putting it into drugs and alcohol and kind of like suppressing everything I feel rather than, you know, talking about it or, or trying to fix the problem. But in every other sense of my mind, I felt that I was so much older and that's why I felt like I could indulge in these things of you know, grown things, like adult things, like alcohol and whatever. And, and so that's, um, that's so interesting that, that that's, you know, what, what you felt when you were younger and, you know, the blacking out, that's so scary. And the fact that, you know, I mean, thank God you're okay, but that is just so, that's so scary. Like I, I think I blacked out one time when I was young and I honestly think it was my prom because I don't remember anything of my prom when I, was yeah. when I was young. That's the only time I remember <laughs> I could think like I don't remember anything and I never did it again because it was so terrifying because you don't know what could happen to you. You don't know who's around you. You don't know who has your back. You know, I mean, anything could happen to you when you're in that state of mind and 
you know, for that to happen to you so frequent, I mean, it's, it's so incredibly dangerous and it's so scary when you see it happening to somebody else. I've seen it happen to somebody else. And I, and I was completely sober. Actually, I, I was, I had just turned 21 and it was, I was the only sober person at my 21st birthday. And I had seen someone blackout and I got so scared. And I was like, oh my God, like, I think I need to call. Like, I was so scared that this person had gotten like alcohol poisoning. And Mm -hmm. when they woke up the next morning, like they were in different clothing because I had to take care of this person because I loved this person and I made sure they were okay. And then, you know, I made sure that they threw up because you know, you could get blackout and then you vomit and then you can choke on your vomit. And, you know, it just, so many things ran through my mind Mm -hmm. and I was taking care of this person and they woke up so disoriented, not knowing anything about, about anything. They had no idea why they had new clothes on. And, you know, it's a scary, scary thing. And I mean, we were in our twenties at the time, but to be so young, and to go through, I can't even imagine, like, when you wake up, like, with your mind, that's just so freaking scary. Yeah. So scary. Yes. And one of the things, like, with, like, what you were saying about blackouts is, like, someone that doesn't, um, I guess I'm going to say play with fire in regards to blackouts, or doesn't have a problem with their drinking, like, they would have one blackout and go, okay, that's not for me, just like you said, right? In my case, it was like, I didn't at the time care what would happen to me. You know, that was part of continuing like the abuse that I had when I was young, right? Because, and just the feeling of nobody caring. Like I always felt like nobody cared what I was doing. You know, it was just like, just this, cycle of abuse that I continued of like okay I'm just going to do what I want right so it was kind of like a form of punishment as well when I drank because even though I loved the feeling I knew that it was dangerous like because I would put myself in some situations that were dangerous like besides the blackout right because I just didn't care if I lived or died and then drinking just fed into it more because drinking is a depressant it makes you feel worse about yourself, even though you get that high, because that high that you get from drinking, it's the relief that you get. It's like, oh, my God, you know what? Like, you know, we hold on, hold on, you know, especially growing up as a Latina woman. It's like you hold on. You don't share your feelings. You just bury it. And you just like, I don't even remember someone saying share your feelings growing up. Right. So when I found alcohol, it was like all these feelings had come out and feeling that pain, I couldn't feel it. So it's like when you find something like that, it's going to take away your pain, but you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to like uh, you can just share it by yourself. It's like, wow, it's like you found gold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, okay, this is relieving me from pain. And because I wanted it so badly, so much of it, because I had so much pain, I went into blackout. And I'm like, if this is the consequences of relieving the pain, I'm okay with it. And I don't care because I don't really care about myself. So there's a whole bunch of like emotions that come with 
drinking and, and continuing the drinking at even though it's at a cost. Yeah. Wow. That's so heavy. That's 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 so for 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 one person to go through, but I I can I can totally crazy. I can totally relate because you know what I when I was young and I would go through these things, my, I felt when I was young, I became very numb to a lot of just trauma. Like, I think that when I was young, I grew up very quickly and there's a lot of things that I had seen and that I had dealt with. And, you know, when I would smoke a little weed or drink that to me was fun and it and it helped it was almost like the cherry on top but what I found which and I had dealt with this from my early teenagers was I used to self-harm that was my that was my gold and it was more it was more like I had felt so numb to a lot of things in my life that I would purposely put myself in situations that would force me to feel something terrible like it would force me to feel nothing good like it was never anything good it was always that it it, like just like gut-wrenching soul-crushing things that I would put myself in whether it be a crap relationship you know toxic friends I I failed college like it just they I would just self I would self-sabotage so many things to feel something and then self-harm was something that it was like and in my mind it was like okay I can feel this I'm bleeding I can feel things I can still feel things so it was something for me that and I enjoyed doing it all the time Mm -hmm. so for me that was my goal and then draw the 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 you know the weed and my I would smoke cigarettes and then my the alcohol was just the little cherry right on top of everything that I felt I was like okay now I'm good to go and it you know it was just crazy because then I turned into somebody that nobody wanted to be around and then I had no idea why like I, I didn't think that what I was doing was bad so I was like I feel great like I don't feel mm-hmm. great but like I feel great so why does no one want to, like, it was like my brain at the time was so messed up and just a mess. And, you know, it just, and I just remember doing it for the first time and it was like that release, but then now I have these scars on my body mm-hmm. that I, and now as an adult, as a mom, now I look at myself in the mirror and I, it just like reminds me of a place that I never want to go to again. And it's just like, you know, like I don't smoke weed. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't sell, like, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I do, I do drink alcohol. I will say that. Um, but like all the other stuff that I just don't, I'm like, no, like never, ever again. And actually it lasted until I met my husband, which was nine years ago. So it stopped nine years ago and I just like finally just was like done with the self-harm with every you know and it was just um it's crazy 
And it's crazy when you find something so detrimental to you, but you love it so much and you're not going to stop. Like you will not stop doing it until you make the changes to want to stop doing it. Yes. Yes. And thank you for sharing. That was just so beautiful. Like I felt all the forms here. (laughs) You're amazing. Like, you know, we, a lot of us suffer. We have trauma from when we're young. Um, Understanding why we do the things we do, not to stay in there, but to understand, to forgive ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So that way, when you look at your scars, you can see your scars and forgive yourself. See it as a time where you didn't like yourself or the reasons why you were doing it. And you know, what popped into my head when, when you were sharing and then you were sharing about your kids, it's, I feel so, so I think it's beautiful that you have those stories to share with your kids. That's going to help them that one day might save their lives. And it, it might sound really like a dark story or deep or very where you're vulnerable, but it's those stories that will help your kids or somebody else, like somebody else that's listening to the podcast, especially as a Latina woman, because I feel like in our community, we don't share these deep conversations. We're so afraid, like even myself, I still do it with my family. Sometimes I'm afraid to share. I still do it. But, you know, I just, there's a quote that Sandra Cisneros has that she says, uh, share your truth, even if you're shaking, your voice is shaking. Yeah. And I just love it because I do, I still get that fear, but, you know, in order to, um, to educate, to help my family, to understand what I'm going through, I share my truth where before I didn't, I, I was closed up, it bottled up, bottled up and even now, if I'm not sharing it, it bottles up and comes out differently. So yeah. just because I'm not drinking doesn't mean I don't have still like some things that I don't like that I don't process and I can lash out in, in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, you know, when you, when you take away the harmful, I guess, when you take away the harmful release that you then chose, whether it's alcohol, drugs, self-harm, when you take that away, you then have to find something else, a healthier way to release everything that you have going on. And that transition is like, it is very difficult. Like for me, I'm someone who just like stopped cold turkey. But for a lot of people, that's impossible to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was able to stop cold turkey because, so my great uncle was, um, he was a crack addict for a very long time. And like, I mean, unrecognizable to his family. And he picked up the Bible, read it. And he quit cold turkey, just stopped cold turkey. And like, if, if that's not divine intervention, I don't, I don't know what is. And to this day, he wakes up every morning, has his cup of coffee, 
and reads the Bible, whether it's he goes outside, whether he'll go in his car or he'll go out on the deck or, you know, go in like a little corner of the of the house or whatever. And he will read his Bible, have his coffee. And then like, he's ready to like tackle the day. Like that is his thing. And I mean, he's been doing that for over 30 years now and just sober, like he doesn't drink. He does, he does not do anything. He smokes cigarettes, but he does not do like, he just stopped. And it was just like, and I would think about that. And I was just like, I can do that too. And I just, I think it, and it was a a time in my life where just a lot of things were transitioning. It was a lot of things, you know, I was in a new relationship and there was just a lot of changes I wanted to make in my life because I think it was also that I had found someone where I was like, you're actually a good guy. We can have a future together and you're not going to want to have a future with someone that does all this crap. And I don't really want to be the person that does all this stuff anymore. And then, you know, it was a lot of, it was a learning curve for both of us, but you know, cause he stuck around with me through all of these transitions too. And, and, you know, I had to relearn myself. I had to relearn how to cope with things and I had to find new outlets to, you know, release all of that stuff. And I think it's not, it wasn't until, and I mean, it took years, like I, you know, to, to, to really find healthy ways, find healthy outlets. I mean, I had stopped cold Turkey, but it took years to, to be able to, recognize you know like now I'm in a place where I mean I'm 27 but I'm in a place now where like if I feel myself going through an episode of depression I can I know when it's coming I know what to do to you know get out of it like I can recognize that like it took a long time to find these things that or, or to find this you know control of my mind or emotions or you know outbursts or whatever. I mean, I still go through my things and I still get crazy sometimes and whatever, but I don't ever revert back to what I used to do. And I mean, it took years, years to do it. I mean, I, I stopped, you know, the self-harm and everything. I think I was like 18, 19 years old. And then I really think that I was able to get myself under control. I think at like 21, 22, you know, to really be in a spot where I feel healthy, you know, as far as, you know, how I can cope with everything that goes on in my, in my world. Cause it's never going to stop life. Never. It's not, life is not going to stop. Life is never going to stop throwing things in your direction that you have to deal with, you know, and not only that, but your trauma and your past even though you stopped all these things, doesn't mean that the trauma is still not there. Doesn't mean that you still don't have to cope with all of those things from your past because now you're doing it. You want to do it in like a healthy way, you know? So now it's just like, you're taking a whole, it's, you're kind of just like starting over essentially, you know? And, and it's just like, it's, it's crazy what we go through now that like, we're really just like talking about it. And to your point, like, no one talks about it. Like no one in my, I think in the Latino community, just, you don't talk about 
like the bad stuff. You don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about mental health because that doesn't exist. You don't talk about trauma because I don't know what it is about Latinos as they get older, but then they have no idea what you're talking about. Like if you try to talk to them about things that they might have done in the past, like they don't know anything. It's like selective memory and they go, I never did that. And it's like, yeah, you, you did do that, but you can't, you can't talk. You you just can't talk to them. So then you have to kind of forgive without the apology, just like so many different things that you then have to like relearn and deal with in a healthy way, which is, a lot (laughs) it is and you know one of the things that um with the people I work with is a lot of them will want everything to get better like right away and you know it's also part of our society of we want the quick fix we want you know we want to be better and by next week in 30 days you know all these promises of like we're going to feel great Sometimes, you know, it hurts us and especially in, in when it comes to addiction or drinking, you know, depending on how you see it, because, you know, also some people don't like to see addiction. It's a label and that's okay too. It's like, what I say is like, what type of relationship are you having with alcohol? Right. And usually that in itself will start something in someone's head. Cause if you have a, a relationship that's healthy, you don't really think about it. Right. You know, alcohol is an object. Yeah. Right. So if you see alcohol and you don't really have a problem with it, you just walk away from it. But if you have a problem with it, it just, you see it, it sparks it, you want to drink it. Like there's all these different type of like indications or just indications of like, if I have a problem or not. Right. So going just back to what I was saying about just people wanting to everything to be like quick fix it's not a quick fix recovery I'm still in recovery like my old behavior still come back sometimes that's usually an indication okay what's happening inside of me I need to check myself right so those are the things that we have to learn as you did in your recovery we have to learn get to know ourselves who are we without the alcohol or the substance that we're using to not know more about ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Because it does take away from us. When we're in it, we don't get to know ourselves. It's almost like we're in a false sense. So when we take that away, it's like, who are we? Who is our authentic self? Yeah. And that takes a lot of work too, because also like what we talked about with trauma, who are you besides the trauma? A lot of us, I know for myself, I used to think I was my trauma mm-hmm. or I am the voices that, that, I, that my parents spoke or people spoke in my life. So all that gets unlayered as we heal, right? So it's going to take a long time, depending on how long you drank. I drank for like 24 years. So I started drinking when I was 14. I, w- I was told that you stop maturing when you actually start to put substance into your body so when I got sober just before I was 40 I started to mature so I had to be that 14 year old person right and 
my first year, my first few months, I struggled. Like I was just like, oh my God, is this what sobriety is like? Because I had to feel for the first time without alcohol. I had to be a sober mom without alcohol. My pattern was to drink Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, I would just like be dry. You know, sometimes I'd sneak a couple of beers if I was really shaky, but I knew I had to lead myself to go to work on Monday. Right. So I had that pattern of drinking Friday. So on Saturday morning, I was like, I don't know what to do with my kids. I used to drink with them. So what am I going to do now? You know, finding ways to be sober without the alcohol. And it's like what I tell like my clients is don't expect yourself to be okay and happy. Right. It's like you're being a sober mom or a sober person for that time event for that person. You don't know yourself. You got to get to know yourself. Yeah. Wow. So how, so I ask this because I know a couple of moms have, you know, just like in talking to me or, you know, like just like sharing stories and stuff, like actually just yesterday, um, you know, it was, she was, she, you know, she went out with her girlfriends and, you know, she, she drank a little too much and she realized that when she came home, she couldn't take care of her baby because that's how like, you know, drunk she had been. And she told me, you know, that, um, you know, her son suffered from acid reflux. So, I mean, my son had acid acid reflux for a little bit as a newborn. And I know, I mean, feeding is like a whole like event because, you know, you don't want them to get sick or throw up or whatever. And so when, has that ever happened to you with your children? Have you ever like been, you know, cause I think it, I, for me, I was on the phone one time with a family member and I didn't realize how much I drank. I was just sitting in one spot and I had like a bottle and a half of wine. And my son was just hanging out with me. He just, he was on the floor. He was chilling, watching TV. Like we were just hanging out. And while I was sitting there, I was like, okay, like I feel good. And then I stood up and I was like, um, this is not okay. Like now it's like, I'll have a glass of wine here and there. And then if I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm not like all there, like I will have water for a couple hours or I'll just stop drinking. Cause it's like, it's getting late. Like I don't, you know, whatever, yeah. but I just, you know, has that ever happened to you with your children? Has that, I mean, I was so scared that I was just mm-hmm. like, there's just, there's, there's no way. Like, and it never happened again. Cause I freaking scared myself. I was just like, it was just the, it was the worst feeling in the world. And then the fact that I wasn't hungover, I was like, that's also a problem because I really drank a lot. So I was just like, okay, like we need to reevaluate because that will never happen again ever. And it hasn't, but (laughs) oh my God, it was awful. I I had love. I love that you're so wise. <laughs> I was not wise. Like, 
you know, I, I had my daughter when I was 16. I have three kids. So I had my daughter when I was 16. Uh, my twins, I don't even know, but I, when I got sober, my daughter was 18 and my twins were seven. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, so I had drank 18 years of my daughter's life. So I, and then my twins, seven years, right? So I went through all like what you were saying, but you know, again, for myself, it was like the alcohol is relieving how I'm feeling. And what happens as a mom, at least for myself, and I've heard a lot of moms that drank is the alcohol takes over you that you don't even see the danger of what you're doing to your kids. Like I saw it when I was sober, I was four years sober and I was like, Oh my God. And even some days I have moments where I'm like in certain places and I was drunk and I'm like, Oh my God, like bad things, worse things could have happened. Right. Um, And I've had all that, like where I was drunk, taking care of my kids. Um, I would take them to parks. I would take them to Ikea. You know, I used to take them to Ikea and I would drink in the bathroom. I would use the babysitting that they have in in Toronto. They have like, you know, if you shop for 30 minutes, you can, you can uh, have the babysitting option. I would leave them there. I had beer in my backpack. I would bust it to the, to Ikea with them because I wanted them to be out. Like, this is what your mind tells you, right? Because in my head, it was like, well, our family used to stay inside the weekends and we'd have to watch the adults drink, right? right? But in my mind, it's like, well, at least I'm exposing my kids to the outside world and I'm playing this mom part, but I get to relieve myself in the bathroom. Right. So I'd go in the bathroom, pop open the beers and I would drink. Right. And I would do different things like that. And it's, it's the part of your mind that just is in pure denial. Right. And it's like, you can't see what you're doing. You're so fogged from the alcohol. Like if you ever talk to a woman that has a drinking problem and you tell them they won't be able to see it right? They just, all they see is like, this is my solution. Mm. And this is what I'm doing to help me. And in some ways, if you can really see what she's talking about, it could be worse. Like some, like for myself, the alcohol helped me to not be in worse situations, Mm. right? Because like for myself, the alcohol helped me over killing myself. Mm. Right, which is why I did do I did do risky things, and I, I would just be always in dangerous situations. I would put myself in, but at least the alcohol helped me to just stay stable because I got drunk. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it did come at a cost because emotionally and physically, emotionally it hurt my kids. Physically, I was very lucky that they didn't get hurt. Yeah. You know, and I pray. And I'm thankful every day that they didn't get hurt because I've had, I've heard stories of women that they've lost their kids. Um, Like either some people have, they have passed on or they hurt them. You know, it's just, it's just awful what it can do to you. And like, I have a lot of sympathy for them because I understand like, it wasn't that my kids weren't important. It was just 
getting rid of that pain was more important so I could function as a mom. Mm. Wow. I never, I've literally never thought about it that way. And it, and it's, you know, it's, it brings me to my, my next question where, because someone like myself, you know, I don't, um, I never, I don't need, like, I, I personally don't need alcoholic. I can just go weeks or whatever. I don't need it. I don't like really look for it or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I definitely do, you know, I enjoy my glass of wine with dinner or, I mean, now to be honest, I don't have, I don't have time to drink or like whatever. I mean, I, if I do, I mean, I, you know, my son, I, cut him down and by 8 30 I'm already ready for bed and I'm like well I don't have time for a glass of wine so yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go to bed and you know if I do you know I'm watching you know tv on the couch and you know and so I think for me I don't feel like I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol I like I have my off button like you know like my brain will just be like no like we're done and I and that's why I can't I could never understand that point of view that you just described, you know, because there are people out there who drink every day, morning and night at work, at the store, at the, and then, you know, they don't wreck, they don't see that they have a problem or, you know, they don't have the off button. They don't have an off button. They just go and go and go and go. And then on top of that, it's the next morning where you'll have a drink because you feel like crap because you drank the night before. And I just think that when, you know, and I've seen people in my life where like, they'll be in beautiful relationships and this person that they were with does not drink. And they will, their whole relationship will go into the garbage because of alcohol. You know, this person will say, you know, oh, you know, because there's a person in, in who I know that, you know, they'll get so belligerent and just start like attacking their, their partner. And I mean, attacking like physically, like, like not really physically, but like verbally and just mm-hmm. like, and there's no off button. And, you know, they've said like, no, like, you know, I, I think they told me something about my drinking. I think they mentioned it to me before, but I don't, I don't really know. And, you know, even if, you know, if this person is sober and, and they're being told that their alcohol is, a, you know, them consuming alcohol is a problem, mm-hmm by their partner, it still just doesn't, it it doesn't change anything at all. And even Mm -hmm. now they don't recognize that they have a problem. And I would never say anything because I don't feel like it's my place, but Mm -hmm. you know, I guess I've never understood that mindset of not having an off button because I don't think I realized that, you know, alcohol for some, for a lot of people is 
purposeful. There's a purpose mm-hmm. to it. Like when I drink my glass of wine, I just genuinely enjoy the way my wine tastes. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I drink it. That's the, to me, yeah. that's the only reason why I drink it. And, you know, I love it with my food and it pairs really well. Like that's why I drink, you know, my wine and, or like if I'm talking on the phone with my mom or we're just hanging out, we just have wine and food. Like that's the kind of environment that I really enjoy, um, you know, having my wine and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I never really thought about it serving such an important purpose to someone. Mm-hmm. And I never understood how someone could not have an off button and how someone could essentially risk so many things to consume alcohol. And, you know, if, if there's someone in, in our life that like, you know, like if I truly felt that it was a problem, like, what would you suggest is the best way to go about it? Cause even if, even if it's not like a direct thing that I'm personally dealing with, but you can see that they're doing things to other people or they're being toxic or, or, or verbally abusing, you know, their partner or whatever. And and you see that they're losing things because of their drinking. How would, how would you go about like without having like a full blown Mm -hmm. formal intervention kind of thing? How do you even begin a conversation like that to, to just talk to your family member about like, Hey, I think you might have a problem. (laughs) I know. And you know, there's no one way to do it because everybody has different personalities. There's different family dynamics. What works for one family might not work. Um, But I do. The first thing I would say is that having that compassion, you know, having the compassion and speak with the compassion, you know, it's okay to, to tell people, you know, listen, I, I'm concerned about you and, and let them know what you saw and how you're feeling, you know, having like go, having in, going in with no expectations, right. And just letting them know that you care and, you know, being careful not to try to fix things because I think what happens, people want to fix things and they want, that's where the expectation gets into well, I want them to stop or make a promise, right? Because what's happening in the family system is there's a lot of pain and hurt or with friendship or, you know, people you see, there's a lot of just this pain and hurt. And it seems like everybody just wants it to stop, right? And that pain gets put on the responsibility of the person that's drinking. But what I say is like, if you're, dealing with like a family member that's drinking is check yourself first check your own pain like check how you're feeling first before you talk to that person and like just to ask yourself what's your motives for talking to that person are you trying to make them change like we all want to see our family members like not go through pain not watch them 
self-destruct, right? Like, but like, I didn't know I was hurting my family when I was self-destructing, right? And just like, I just was like, I'm in pain and I wanted to stop. I didn't see my kids, my ex, my mom, my brother, my sister. I was just like, I'm going to do it because it's helping me with my pain. And even if they, like my, I remember my ex every Sunday we'd wake up and I would feel like crap. And he would say, why do you keep doing this to yourself? He never, like we had fights, but he never said, you know, stop drinking. Like it was fights about my drinking, but he didn't really attack me. Okay. And I remember that like, because what happens, what happened in my story was people didn't tell me to stop drinking, but they did express how they were feeling about my drinking. And even though I didn't stop for years, when I hit my rock bottom, I remembered what they said to me. It's like, when I hit rock bottom, it was like all these different voices, my daughter's voices, my mom's voice, my ex's voice came and I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, if I don't stop, I'm gonna die. Right? So having that compassion with people and just like saying, you know, or how can I help you ask them how you can be there for them? Mm. Wow. I gave a lot. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to pause. <laughs> no, that, no, that's fine. I, uh, you know, it's, it's really scary because when you come to the point where you either say, because I wanted to ask you about that too. Like, how did you, how did you stop? I mean, how, how did you come to that realization of saying like, okay, like I'm, I have, like, I have to stop because, you know, and, in, in, in some people we see like, okay, like they're going to kill themselves mm-hmm. if they do not stop but they do not see it and they will not see it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are just people who they are so dependent on it that you sometimes can't even tell that they're drunk because Mm -hmm. they're almost like just like functioning through it. They're functioning alcoholic. So you can't actually, sometimes you're like, you're not drunk today, but they're actually trashed Mm -hmm. today. Like, you know, for someone like yourself who has had been going through this for, I mean, decades, how do you come to the realization that, okay, I like, cause a lot of people don't come to the, come, come to the epiphany that, okay, I'm going to die. If this yeah. stop, like, if this doesn't stop, a lot of people don't have that realization in their life, or they don't have that, that light bulb moment that go, Hmm. I'm not going to be here to see my kids anymore if I don't stop this. So how, how did that happen for you? How did you come to that? Honestly, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking moment and realization in your life to just say, I'm done. Yeah. So I had, I want to share before I share my, my last drunk, um, I had many rock bottoms that I thought, okay, this is it. I'm done. Like I'd wake up in random parks 
I wake up like just in random places. One time I woke up at a corner of a bus stop. I had no money. People were going to work. I had to ask someone to let me in the subway so I can get home. I had no clue how I got there. Wow. And that still was not my rock bottom. Every time I had a rock bottom, I would do other things to make it worse. Not consciously, but it was just, again, subconsciously. And over time, I just started to feel like what alcohol did in the beginning, that euphoria feeling, it stopped working. So I started to drink and feel lousy. And it happened over years. It wasn't like, and everybody has different stories, right? So like for me, it was like, it happened over years. Oh my God, I'm drinking and I still feel lousy. I'm drinking and I'm not drinking enough to feel good. So you start to up your drinks. You start to go to whiskey, but then whiskey makes me feel awful. Like, you know, you just start to play around with alcohol and it's like, oh no, it's not working anymore. So then I start to drink every day, right? So I can feel better. Yeah. So that happened as well. And then um, I started to have problems with my ex. And then I eventually, I did leave that relationship. And it happened in June 2010. I left my relationship. And then I went to go see an addictions counselor. And the addictions counselor, she planted a lot of seeds in my head that I really heard what she had to say about what if you had an addiction? What is what if this is something that you have in your blood? You know, and that information, it just helped me to understand that maybe it wasn't just about me and my behaviors. Maybe there was something going on in my body that contributed to why I kept drinking the way I was. Right. So at that time I was like, okay maybe that's what it is. I did. So I stopped drinking for like two months, like Chris sober (laughs) didn't work for me. And it was just awful. So I went back to drinking full force in December, 2010. My last drunk was at Christmas time. I took my, my three kids to a church where my family was meeting. There's booze everywhere. I was already drunk when I got there. And my mom was, she said to me, she's like, jazz like she's like look at you you're drunk like like you have to go home or you have to do something and I was like ah whatever don't worry he's like you know you're drunk and just like mom don't worry about it and I went into complete blackout I don't remember how I got home you know I let this guy in that I was seeing at the time into the house that I said I never would let my kids around I woke up in the morning and during the night, I actually had a dream about my son that I had lost him. Right. And I woke up and I was just like crisp sober. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to get help because it was like that rock bottom. That was like, this is out of control. Wow. Yeah. So it was. No, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just, no, it's, Wow. That's, I mean, when, when you mentioned something inside of your body, I mean, a lot of people don't also realize that, you know, addiction is also 
a genetic thing that happens too, you know, to have, you know, that, that addict and a lot of people also have addictive personalities too, Mm -hmm. without even being genetic. And then, you know, just bringing it back to your, your, your beginning where, you know, you saw all of the dads and uncles and grandfathers drinking, and then you had no idea that mom and Titi and, and your grandma are in the, in the kitchen, you know, just like Bonchinche and they're drinking and how that can affect you. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about also about genetically being someone who can fall into addiction easier than others and then you having a dream about your son that i'm i've had crazy crazy dreams and i can i can only imagine how you woke up that day like the hollowness that you probably felt that i can only I can only imagine how how you felt. I mean, enough to 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 go and and see help, which is so strong to to come to that. Because even you know, and I know that a rock bottom looks different for a lot of people. Because even that won't wake some people up. Mm-hmm. That to them won't be the rock bottom that they experience to go and to seek help so that's that's you know it's very heavy and I thank you for being so open and so transparent with your journey because you know your story is is very relatable to a lot of people and a lot of people can see themselves in your story and you know I think it's it's also something that's very beautiful because you're still you're in this recovery you're doing it every single day and you're taking it you know day by day you know one minute at a time and you know that in and of itself is extremely powerful and then to come to that realization you know, like, how did you feel when you woke up and you sought help? Like, like, how was that first day for you? Like tackling all of this at one time? Cause that must've been crazy. That must've been a crazy day. And it must've been so much for you to like digest and to like swallow and to like, how, how was that for you? It, it was a lot like I, I drank a couple of so shaking I drank some wine with my sister and I said I'm I have to go get help because it, this is it and I was so scared but something inside of me was like I have to do something about it there was a strong will that now I see as like was there as a child that got lost with all the alcohol right and I felt that that day and I went into a recovery group where I met other people that were the same as me, right? And they understood how I was feeling, right? And they got me because my family loved me as much as they could, you know, and they try to help me as much as they could with my drinking. 
but no one could help me because also too, I wasn't sharing how I was feeling with them. Like me and my sister are tight and she didn't realize how much pain I was in because I had covered it up from even her. Wow. Right. So my family could only give what I was giving them. But in my eyes, when the drinking had took, taken over, I'm like, nobody cares about me. But it wasn't true. They were giving me what they could give me. Right. Yeah. And um, so for me, I, I felt like my life was changing. It was scary. I was really scared. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Right. Because alcohol had become like my norm since I was 14. Yeah. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh my God, like you're not going to drink. And that's the thing that I tell people I work with. It's like, don't look at it like I'm never going to drink for the rest of my life or I can't drink. It's like live by the moment, like plan for the day, but live for the moment. Like some people can't stop drinking for that moment. Okay. So what are we going to do for this moment? I had to really uh, break it down into I'm not going to drink right now just because I'm feeling this way and break it down to one moment, one day at a time. Wow. Wow. That must've been so much for you to go through. I mean, and then you did it and I mean, you're yes. still doing it, which is fantastic. And that's so amazing. Like, I mean, I know so many people who only dream of being in the place that you are right now and because I know that a lot of people don't see an end in sight they don't mm -hmm. they don't see you know um they don't they don't see the the light at the end of the at the end of the tunnel and you know now that now that you help so many other people I mean I'm sure that has to you know that has to be its own high in and of itself when you're helping, you know, helping so many people like, and you said something in our initial call that I loved and it was just to change the narrative mm -hmm. on addiction and looking at it from a different perspective and not looking at it. And you said it earlier, not looking at it in a negative way, you know, which I, which I think is so important because when you look at addiction or you look at, you know, substance abuse, it's only looked at negatively and it's only mm -hmm. looked at in one way. So how, how can we shift the view on addiction and looking at it from a different point of view? So one of the things that I do, like, to show addiction from a different point of view, I start with, like, my own kids, my family, right? Like, for myself, it's like, there is life after addiction, or for everybody, I should say. But, like, in my own family, it's like, I went through this addiction. I went through, my story is not, like, some people, there, there's some people that just, they drink, they had no trauma, and they're addicts, right? Just like... a I've met a lot of women that have stories that are so deep, so dark, right? But those are the, like, all of our stories are just as important, but there's some that someone can relate to that's like, oh my God, I've been through that. Yeah. And if she came out of it, I can come out of it, right? So sharing my story for me is important because 
I know my story is not the only story that has all these details, mm -hmm. right? And and someone out there is like, oh my God, I also go to Ikea and I drink while my kids are in like the babysitting. Like, even though those are very vulnerable details, I share them because I'm like, I know I'm not the only one, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, with that, I can still have a life after my addiction, which is recovery, right? Yeah. And that's, that's my, my, um, my brand is life in recovery, because there's so much life after recovery, after addiction, there's recovery, right? And my kids know that if they have an addiction, there's recovery after that, mm -hmm. right? It's a different narrative than what I grew up with. It's like, you're addicted and now you're going to destroy your life, your relationship with your kids, your, your wife or your husband, or you're going to wind up in the streets, like all these narratives that I grew up with or that I've seen on TV. No, there's such, there's a great life to live after addiction, which is your life in recovery. And that is what's going to make the difference because my kids know, like we've been through a lot, they've seen a lot, but they also know that I've changed. And I don't know if I would be the same person I am if I didn't have the addiction, yeah. right? Like I'm just, I feel my own strength that I've done yeah. it, right? And I love that I've changed some kind of patterns or the narrative for my kids. Yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's so powerful. And I think that what you're doing is so incredibly important. And, you know, I'm sure that your kids are so proud of you. Not only that, but I mean, you have to be damn proud of yourself too, because, you know, it, like I said earlier, to be someone that has their own story as deep and as and as, and in a lot of moments, dark as yours to come out and to still find the light and to still find the happiness and to still find the strength to not only give back to yourself, but now to then give back to so many other people who are going through what you went through they have their own stories and their own trauma to work through and their own lives to live. And you're helping them realize or to find that life after addiction in recovery and how, and I think more, more importantly, how yes, recovery is difficult in its, in, in its, you know, execution. I mean, it's, it's incredibly hard, especially being in a Latino community that drinks all the time. doesn't matter. It's a christening, a birthday, a, a barbecue on a Wednesday, everyone's going to drink, you know? And, and so especially in, in our community, how to navigate that life now. And not only that, but not to look at it as, as, as a way to always be like thinking about, okay, like, you know, they're going to be drinking here and I need to do this. And you get filled with anxiety and then you get filled with a lot of fear. Like, okay, like, oh my goodness, like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to, uh, you know, be able to deal with this event or whatever. And then I got my kids and I got this and I get work and, and, you know, but to change it in a way where 
not only people from the outside looking into addiction and recovery, but also people that are dealing with it too, to have this new view or this new perspective on it is incredibly strengthening, not only for those going through, but those from the outside looking in, because then it allows us to help better. And it allows us to be better supporters of our family that is going through these things. And for those going through recovery to find the joy again in life without having to, you know, lean on or depend on these things. It's, it's really, cause I know that there's a lot of, I, I see it all the time on Facebook that, that there's a lot of people who really want to change the narrative around addiction and by what you're doing and just the way you say it and the way you describe it, I think is the perfect way to get, you know, everyone to understand this new view and to not look at it as a negative or nasty thing, but to look at it in a more of an empowering way, a more powerful way, you know, a, a more, a more of a, trying to be more of a joyful experience because you know with alcohol being a suppressant you don't really look forward to anything but now when you're in recovery you get to look forward to this new life and you get to look forward to the light and the joy that you can have and that's not to say it's going to come easy at all or it's not going to come without its struggles or its or its hardships but you know all of the work that you're doing and even just the show and, and just like, you know, sharing this new perspective can help so many people. And, you know, you know, every day that, you know, you do what you do just, I mean, impacts not only your clients, but your clients' families and their Mm -hmm. friends and their colleagues. And, you know, it's just so amazing the work that you do and, you know, because it's one thing to give back to yourself, but then to just give your time to focus on helping other people is so incredibly, you know, admirable. And it's honestly so like kick-ass and amazing. And, you know, and I applaud you because not, not many people can do that at all. I mean, not many people have the time to even help themselves. So the fact that you can do it and you know, touch so many people is just really, really, really fantastic. And again, I thank you for sharing your story because it's super deep and, you know, vulnerable and it takes a lot to share, to share those pieces of yourself with me, who's a stranger, and now to everyone who's going to be listening. But it's, you know, all the good it can do is just, mm-hmm. it's really, really, really remarkable. So I do thank you again for coming on and, and sharing, practically, you know, sharing your life with me. I guess. <laughs> and I want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, I've been just wanting to just go more into our Latin community and just sharing my story giving hope that you know for anybody that's struggling that I was there too like I didn't see that the light at the end of the tunnel 
sometimes we don't see that light, but if we hold on long enough in darkness, it'll come. Wow, that's that's so beautiful. That's such a beautiful. I think that that's such a beautiful place to to end off, and you know, it's so it's so important, and you know, and I've learned so much just sitting here from you. I mean, now, you know, I've learned, you know, even for me, you know, for my family, you know, to 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 just not even with you know, addiction and things just to know how to navigate life and how to cope with things and, and how to show up for myself and, you know, how to show up for myself, how to, you know, have healthy relationships with, you know, my glass of wine and, you know, other people in my life and, and, and how to find new perspectives on how to look at certain situations because not only can it help me but it can also help you know other people um so I thank you so much for being on the show I appreciate you I loved talking to you and you know all the work that you do is fantastic and amazing and it's so powerful and you know you're you're gonna I see you one day on a stage, on a panel, talking to millions of people and a TED talk and all this stuff. And, you know, you're, you know, cause it's needed, you know, you are needed and your work and your time is, and your story is valued and it has so much value and it has, you know, so much strength and benefit. I just, I just, I thank you. I thank you. And I just want to honor you as well. I just love the work that you're doing. And thank you for sharing your vulnerability because, you know, someone that follows you or that hears your podcast, they needed to hear what you shared today. So thank you for your vulnerability. I appreciate that. Well, I will let you go. I'm going to wake up my son from his nap. I can't believe he slept this long, which is very good, (laughs) which is very good. But I thank you. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your thank Sunday. You. And yes. um, I will we'll definitely chat again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye. And tune in next week where I talk about the importance of being an alpha female and how to be one in your life.